0: get ready to grip it and rip it.
1: All right let's move on we got golfers waiting.
0: Dedicated to bringing better golf to America this is tea to Green the golf show
2: Golf is the language spoken here every Sunday 52 weeks a year on Tee to Green the golf show. Hello fellow golfers and happy New Year. Jay Ritchie and Jerry Butenhoff from the five-star Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado, the home of Tita Green, and the home of the 2018 U.S. Senior Open. Welcome into a very special New Year's Eve edition of Tita Green. We've reached back into the archives for another special show for you today as we round out a great year in 2017. First up on the show today, well, there's no bigger name when it comes to golf course architect in the world than Tom Fazio. Some of the courses he's designed or redesigned over the past 50 years include Butler National, Pine Valley, Pebble Beach, Pinehurst, Congressional Firestone, the Greenbrier, Caves Valley, Quail Hollow, just some of those, and he will be joining us today on Tee to Green. No other golf course architect anywhere has left a bigger imprint on the game in the modern era than Tom Fazio. We'll get his story today, how he started out, and what he's working on next, as we repeat an interview we did with him from earlier this year. and Then later in the hour, well, we will continue our interview. We We had part one last week. Part two is coming up today with none other than Dave Stockton, one of the most underrated players in the game of golf. A guy who's seen it all, done it all over a 50-year career, and he's still going strong. As a player, he was a regular tour and a Champions Tour winner. He was a Ryder Cup captain and a winner there. 25 wins, two majors, and now he's the guy that People like Rory McIlroy, Patrick Reed, Michelle Weave, Phil Mickelson turn to when they need putting advice. The very outspoken Dave Stockton, part two of that interview today on a special New Year's Eve edition of Tee to
1: If you're one of the millions of Americans who can't work because of a serious injury or illness, you may be eligible for disability benefits from Social Security. Receiving benefits is your right. It doesn't matter if you've applied before and the government has said no. Let the experienced attorneys at Bill Gordon and Associates help you get the Social Security disability you deserve. Their team of attorneys have been fighting for benefits for people just like you for over 20 years. And best of all, they There's no fee until you receive your benefits. There are many conditions that make you eligible, including some you may not even be aware of. So if you're disabled and unable to work, call Bill Gordon and Associates today for your free no-obligation consultation. See if you qualify for the Social Security benefits you need and deserve. 800-443-4996. 800-443-4996. That's 800-443-4996. The following has been pre-recorded.
2: Destination listening for dedicated golfers. You found it. It's Tee Grain, the golf show. Jay and Jerry. Jay Richie, Jerry off at the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado, back at you for another edition of the big show today. Jerry, our first show of the month of August.
4: It is, and uh, we've got uh, some fun stuff uh, and a road trip or two coming up uh, later in the month, so be a fun one.
2: we got a dandy show today. I mean, we say that every week, but today uh, we're going to be talking to Mark Kibble. Mark is the head pro here at the Broadmoor, good friend, and outside of you and me, He's probably heard more on T to Green than any other voice because he does our golf tips, our pre-recorded golf tips, every week. And he was recently named the Colorado uh, Head Professional of the Year by the Colorado section of the PGA. And uh, it's been a while since we've had Mark on the show, so he'll be back with us today a little bit later in the hour. Our first guest is up and ready to go. And I'll tell you what, no living designer has more credits on Golf Digest's list of America's 100 Greatest Golf Courses and Golf Week's collection of America's Best Courses than Tom Fazio. The Golf Digest poll for Best Modern Day Golf Course Architect was discontinued after he claimed the award three consecutive times. That tells you the status of uh, Tom Fazio in the game of golf as a golf course designer in over 50-plus years. We listed a few of the names of golf courses that he's had a hand in designing or renovating through the years, from uh, Quail Hollow, where they'll be playing the PGA Championship uh, next week in Charlotte, North Carolina, to the Greenbrier, uh, Firestone, Caves Valley, Butler National, Pebble Beach, Pinehurst. We could read, if we, if we read the list of his Golf courses would probably take up mo- most of the hour. So let's just bring him on and uh, welcome Tom Fazio this morning to Tee to Green. Hello, Tom.
5: Hello there. Good morning. Nice to be great. on.
2: Yeah, great to have you with us uh, uh, on Tee to Green today. And I know you've got a busy schedule, especially with the PGA Championship coming up next week at one of your courses, Quail Hollow. Uh, I want to go back, before we get to talking about those things, I want to go back to the beginning, though, and uh, and how you got started in golf course design and golf architecture there are a lot of different ways you can go in the game of golf and make a living what brought you in in this particular direction
5: well in my particular case it was kind of a family involvement my uncle uh, george vazio was a a uh, tour player in the uh, decade of the 40s and 50s and a very accomplished player who uh uh won several golf tournaments uh uh, unfortunately, maybe the biggest claim was the one he didn't win <clears throat> was a 1950 U.S. Open uh, where he tied with uh, Ben Hogan and Lloyd Mangrum and lost in the playoff. Hmm. And I always use that venue as saying, well, if, if my uncle had won that tournament instead of Ben Hogan, maybe he wouldn't have gotten in golf course design. He would have been uh, just continued playing golf the rest of his career, and then I guess I just would have been a caddy the rest of my life as well <laughs> and not got into design. So we never know how fate turns uh, our life.
2: Or were you a golfer before you got into the design
5: era? No, I was just I was just like everybody else. I was just a regular uh, f- uh, home golfer, uh, a young kid who started playing golf at an early age. Loved the game, but my father was uh, a very good golfer, uh, single digit handicap growing up, uh, and the whole fa- all his brothers. He had five brothers, but George happened to be the celebrity uh, family member, being a golfer and uh, then he was uh, the host pro, the PGA pro, at uh, places like Pine Valley in New Jersey and uh, out in Los Angeles, so he was was a very well-known person. Actually, as as the story goes, he's probably the most accomplished golfer at that time uh, that got into golf course design, and since that time, many, obviously, PGA Tour and great players like Jack Nicklaus, of course, maybe the greatest of all times, I've gotten into golf course design, but George kind of started that trend back in the 60s, and I was fortunate to be there in the right place at the right time, and he put me in- into the business in charge of uh, overseeing projects. And, uh, you know, that was uh, – uh, you mentioned it. I wasn't going to mention that word 50 years ago, but uh, you said it earlier, so I guess every- everyone's already heard it. It's hard to believe.
2: Yeah, we'll say uh, when when you go back to that time, we won't <laughs> mention how long, where does a young guy go, though, at that, at that time to get a start uh, in the business like you did?
5: Well, it, it was there, there are a lot of people that have had it different ways. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know, the, the recognized name of all names in golf design at that era in time was Robert Trent Jones. And he had a love for the game and a passion for golf. And he started uh, – he actually – Created the logo of Give Your Course a Signature. That's where the signature golf course came from. And he had actually signed his name with that signature, and that was the start of that. He was wonderful at uh, getting focus and p- with name recognition. Not many people knew who designed golf courses back in the 50s and 60s. Certainly yeah. there weren't that many, but even the recognized names that we know today were not well-known names it's kind of like uh you know most of the people who became super famous became super famous well after they were passed on to the next life
2: our guest is tom fazio today here on tita green from fazio design do do is there a is there a signature for for tom fazio
5: well, uh, honestly, no. I, I try not to because I, I've worked mostly in in a region in the southeast. Mostly because I have a great wife and great family, and didn't want to travel much. And even during the decade uh, when the international market was booming in the eighties, uh, I was never one for international. Uh, uh, you know, going to Colorado was about as far as I wanted to go. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have done golf courses in, uh, at, uh, in Vale and, and uh, Aspen at. Uh, uh, Maroon Creek and Red Sky Ranch and the Valley Course, and so uh, you know that was that was even difficult to get to back you know back when I was doing those golf courses and uh, so to me travel is probably the most biggest challenge of the industry because you know you're just all over the place and some architects have, have been uh, very uh, much of international people as well and go to places like Vietnam has believe it or not many golf courses being built now and Southeast Asia, lots of places in those locations. I've not been that kind of person to do that, although my son now, Logan, kind of runs the business in charge of, we just finished uh, a golf course in Tokyo for the 2020 Olympics that uh, he insisted we do. I wouldn't have done it, but he insisted we do it. If he wasn't my son, I would have fired him. But, um, I, I stuck with it. He said, Dad, we're doing this. It's going to be good for the business long term. Of course, I was in the business for the long term. Now I'm in it for the short term, in a sense. I just want to go enjoy it like this week going to Quail Hollow for the PGA Championship. will be a great week, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, watching all the great players.
4: Tom, you mentioned Red Sky Ranch. Jay and I played in a tournament on the Greg Norman course over there a few years back. Um, uh, we had a tough time because we had the the wind blowing across most of the holes. Uh, your course there, uh, what did you see there uh, when you showed up at that property for the first time?
5: Well, certainly in, in the state of Colorado, there's so many gorgeous, beautiful settings no matter where you go. I mean, it's, driving on the interstate in Colorado is is, is beautiful. I just uh, so, uh, in that particular site at Red Sky Ranch, uh, the framing, the the vegetation, but the short and long range views are awesome. Uh, and our clients uh, were were there to create a, a special environment. You know, there were two golf courses: the Norman course, the Fazio course. They operate them one private, one public. They change them around for their homeowners and members and, and visiting guests. So it's a great concept. Uh, uh, and uh, it is a, a wonderful golf experience, the total picture of Red Sky. Uh, and Jeff Hansen, is, as you probably know, you probably had him on your show. He's a great uh, director of golf and uh, golf enthusiast, so um, Red Sky was really a special place for me.
2: Fazio Design operates on the premise that golf courses should reflect the natural beauty of their environments, which almost seems, Tom, like a no-brainer, but that wasn't always the case, was it?
5: Well, it uh, it depends on where you are. Sometimes, uh, and, and how the golf course, certainly from my beginnings in the 60s, I never would have envisioned how we would do some things and how the future would go, uh, and we've gone to places like Las Vegas. One of the most unique places in golf in America is Shadow Creek in Las Vegas, and there was a golf course built where there was no environment. They actually had to build an environment and put a golf course on it, which was quite unusual. I never thought that would have happened when I started my career. But uh, there's so many wonderful, dedicated golf people that have passion for the game, that love the game. And that particular case, Steve Wynn had the vision to create a great experience in golf, as good as any golf course in the universe. And yet there was nothing to work with, so we had to make it.
2: Our guest is Tom Fazio, Fazio Design. He's agreed to do a couple of segments with us. So, Tom, we're going to break away. When we come back, we'll talk a little more about golf course design with the man, Tom Fazio, Quail Hollow, where they play the PGA Championship in Charlotte, North Carolina, this coming week. One of his designs, recently renovated. We'll talk about that with him as T to Green continues right after this.
0: Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-957-6063,
1: 800-957-6063. It has been said that everyone has a book in them, but do you have the time or the ability to write your book? Maybe you picked up some skills or had a life experience that you want to pass on in the form of a book to help others. Maybe you want to leave an autobiography for your family.
2: golfers, you found it. It's Tita Green from the Broadmoor Resort, Colorado Springs, Colorado, where they'll be hosting the U.S. Senior Open next June, late June, early July 2018. Jay Ritchie alongside Jerry Boutinop coming up. We'll talk to Mark Kelmore. He's the head pro here at the Broadmoor. Our guest uh, is staying with us for another segment. Our first guest, Tom Fazio from Fazio Design. As I mentioned at the outset, no living designer has more credits on Golf Digest's list of America's 100 Greatest Golf Courses. than Mr. Fazio, Quail Hollow, where they'll be playing the PGA Championship uh, this coming week is one of his designs, and it's a redesign as well. Tom, you mentioned, you touched on it a little bit in the first segment about sort of the boom and the bust of golf course design. We went from the 90s when there were golf courses springing up everywhere to a decade later and how tough uh, it was in the golf business how how concerned and how worried were you during that since your livelihood depended on building golf courses uh how concerned or worried were you when that was happening or not not happening
5: well i think at any time business you you, you understand business cycles and and how things worked and uh you actually could almost uh predict that was happening. Uh, the golf industry, especially when it relates to golf courses, always has, and if you go back roughly the 12 decades that golf has been in America from the mid-1800s, 1880s, in that area, and you take out uh, a decade for World War One and World War Two, and you look at the Depression of the 30s, you know, you could actually draw a chart, uh, create a chart and show how golf growth uh, boomed, and it all related to housing, industry, and growth of and movements of population. So, uh, when the housing industry crashed in the 70s, the same thing happened to golf. When it crashed in 2007, the same thing relative to major growth. But uh, fortunately, the golf industry is 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 uh, progressing. Uh, you know, it's uh, we certainly don't have the numbers of new golf courses. So, in America, if you're not growing substantially. uh, You know, it looks like things are really bad, but uh, trust me, the golf industry is healthy, it's good, uh, and now all we seem to keep working on major renovations are the end thing for golf and people improving their existing facilities, and uh, uh, it's doing well, and certainly Quail Hollow proves that. That's a golf course that uh, the, the the owner, the president, the the the, uh, the uh, person who's in charge, Johnny Harris, uh, decided one day he wanted to have a golf tournament, and he's going to have PGA Tour professionals, and and then eventually he wanted to have a major championship. Well, he took the bull by the horns, went in and renovated his golf course, got a a PGA Tour event in the Wells Fargo tournament. And now he's turned it into having a PGA Championship this coming week, and then he has the President's Cup coming. I think it's in 2021 or some, two, something like that. But uh, it's, uh, it's the golf industry is doing well. It's not the major growth time, but it's still doing fine.
4: Tom, when you go in and uh, uh, restructure a course a little bit or make some tweaks or anything, do you ever run into a situation where uh, – you know, maybe the the people that run the course uh, want to do this, and then you have to go. Well, maybe that's not going to work so well. Do you have have that every now and then? Well, certainly you have opinions. I mean, that's the one thing you have. Depending, and every project is
5: different. Every club is different, depending on the structure and who's in charge. Uh, so uh, everyone is a little different. In the case of Quail Hollow, you really had pretty much of a uh, a one man role. Uh, relative to the, the, being in charge of the club and deciding what was going to be done and how it was going to be done. Now he had he had he had a lot of opinions, but fortunately uh, Johnny Harris is a golf and uh, here's a golf nut actually. That's a, that's a great <laughs> way to call him because he's a member of uh, places like Augusta National and Pine Valley and Seminole and Cypress Point and and probably another fifteen other clubs around the country. Uh, and uh, probably the sister project of, of uh, Broadmoor at Sea uh, Island uh, in Sea uh, Island, Georgia. Uh, you know, he's, he's every place, and he understands golf and knows it. But he also knows enough to know that he came to me and said, w- w- what do we need to do to our golf course to make it the best it can be so we can host some of the, the best players that's ever played and we can have major championships. So we put together a plan. And we've implemented that plan over a period of time. You know, everything isn't automatic. It doesn't start uh, 100% uh, full throttle. It took a little bit of time to uh, work through the planning process and adjustments, and uh, it was done over a period of time. So there's many different ways clubs can do it and people can do it. There's not a set formula.
2: Tom Fazio, our guest today. Tom, a lot of your renovations and redesigns have been on your courses, but some have been on other courses and other classic American golf courses. When you get called in to, to redesign a, or renovate a, a Pebble Beach or a Pinehurst, you're asked to almost improve on perfection. How intimidating can that be?
5: Well, certainly it can be, and I think when you mentioned Pebble Beach, I certainly was not involved with renovating Pebble Beach. You know, you know, I've worked at Pebble Beach. I've actually planned a new golf course that didn't get built there, at uh, in the Forest Course uh, at Pebble, and uh, certainly at Pinehurst. Uh, I've done several golf courses at Pinehurst and worked along with uh, people there for on Pinehurst Number Two. Uh, currently, Ben Crenshaw and uh, Bill Corr have done a major renovation for the last Open at Pinehurst. So Uh, pines number two. So there's many different ways. uh, It's most of the time, especially in the old classic golf courses, there's always the the program usually to restore it. uh, Because over time, things have changed either through natural causes, uh, through just nature, or maybe over a period of time, some people had the input and put their fingerprints on it somehow. And there's a desire to return it back to what it was. That's kind of the thing on so-called famous golf courses restoration not changes so there's many different methods and ways and certainly environmentally there's things to be looked at and done uh to uh continue on with uh,
4: being a good steward of the land so there's many
5: there's there's endless possibilities of what can be done
4: tom there's a lot of uh uh, concern about water usage on golf courses now when you go in and and uh you know, for a redesign or something. Is that one of the major things that you have to deal with nowadays?
5: Certainly that's one of the major ones. Uh, water uh, water is a big issue. Uh, now, I live in western North Carolina where I'm sitting here talking to you right now on a lake in the beautiful mountains of western North Carolina, and uh, we have 74 inches of rainfall a year in this area. It's a rain rainforest. Beautiful, <laughs> great. It reminds you of the Rocky Mountains with trees on the mountains, exactly what it looks like. but It's covered with trees instead of rocks. Uh, so water isn't as a premier, uh, situation here, but certainly in California and desert areas where golf has grown, it's, it's number one factor. But then again, there's other methods and means of, of things that are progressing, including new turf grasses, new methods of conservation, of storage. You know, the fact that in places where there's been high levels of growth, it's been recycled water because when water is taken from uh, municipalities to uh, in, in plants where it's reprocessed and uh, sewage water is turned into gray water that can be used to be put back in the ground. I mean that's an advantage for golf where they can because they have to have a place for spray fields to spray this reclaimed water that's been processed. So where it, what's a natural place to do it is on a golf course. So it has, there's lots of different. There's no cut and dry across the board answers to any of it. It's all site specific. State requirements and local rules and regulations. So, uh, but it all is—it's um, all logical.
2: Tom, the Quail Hollow, last question. Quail Hollow, you built it 20 years ago. You've gone in and, and, and renovated, redesigned. They got the PGA Championship coming this week to Quail Hollow in Charlotte. What sort of uh, tweaks did you do to that course?
5: Well, and Qu- Quail Hollow was actually, Quail Hollow was originally built in the decade of the uh, late 50s, early 60s. And, uh, over time, and, and it was built on a farm, and lots of trees were planted to frame in the golf holes. So over time, the trees kind of grew in and created a lot of, uh, tight venues, uh, difficult areas to grow grass. So, uh, we started in the late 90s with a long-range plan of, uh, of, um, the fine-tuning and tweaking the golf course of which related to future places for tournament play as well as spectator viewing. It'll be one of the great settings for golf. And I think the people who watch it on TV will, will see the uh, the famous uh, follow, uh, finish called the Green Mile uh, as it goes around the lake. That's uh, a storage lake for irrigation and surface water runoff. So it's going to be a great venue, very strong golf, I think we're gonna see a great championship and it'll be a, certainly gonna be a fun week for all of us at Quail Hollow.
2: Yeah, I, I lied, I got one more quick question for you. Uh what what uh what kind of score is gonna win it? Well, usually, you know, the
5: PGA Championship is not like uh, the U.S. Open. It's different. It's different than than the Masters, and and it has a lot to do with whether it rains. It looks like whether the the greens are soft, although new technology has allowed for different grasses now. We have a Bermuda grass that's on the greens called Champion, and it allows the greens to be firm and fast, and even if they do get some wet weather. Uh, But, again, these fellows, as you'll see uh, this week, and, uh, you know, the best of the best, uh, I can't imagine that the score isn't going to be in the uh, in the low double digits. I would say um, 10 to 11, 12 would probably be the score. All right. Uh, but it, so that's uh, it's, it's going to be a fun week. All
2: right. Tom Fazio. Tom, enjoy your week at Quill Hollow. And thanks for joining us today here on Tee to Green.
5: Thank you. Enjoyed it.
2: Got a couple of big fans here in Jay and Jerry of Tom Fazio, Fazio Design, as we continue on the other side with the golf show, this is Tee to Green.
4: You're listening to the Sports Byline USA Broadcast Network.
1: Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. Eight five five three two five one seven eight zero. 325 1780
2: That's eight five five three
0: two five seventeen eighty. 325 1780
6: Just tap it in. Just tap it in. Give it a little
0: tappy. Tap, tap, tap a roof. Time to work on your short game. Tee to Green helps you get it up and down. The Broadmoor continues to stand in the forefront of world-class facilities, amenities, and service, combining modern comfort and convenience with an elegant charm of the past.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Kelville, the head golf pro at the Broadmoor, and today I want to talk to you about teaching aids, the first one being just a plain, ordinary towel, and this is used primarily for the short game, put it across your chest and put it under each arm, What this allows you to do is maintain the triangle through the chipping area, and it keeps your arms nice and taut to the body where you're not breaking your wrists and so on and so forth. Secondly is a head cover, just a plain, ordinary cloth head cover that you put under your right arm, if you're a righty, to cure a flying elbow coming over the top of your swing where the club is pointing toward the first baseman. You want to avoid that at all costs. This will keep the right elbow
2: to the side, and you'll be down the line much, much better. For more on taking strokes off of your game, check out the website, t2greenradio.com or visit your local PGA professional.
4: The following has been
2: pre-recorded.
4: This is your number one source for golf news and entertainment, t to Green. Sherry Butenhoff here. Thank you for listening. No matter how you're listening, be it your old-fashioned radio, maybe you're streaming us online this morning, listening to us on Stitcher Radio, what have you. Thanks for having us or, or making us part of your Sunday morning here and uh, all that sort of thing. Uh, we've got a very pleasant day in Colorado here, uh, and then tomorrow uh, the temperature is going to drop about 35 degrees and it might snow. So um, it's, if you've ever been to Colorado at any time of the year, the weather here is never boring. Uh, that's for sure. So um, so uh, it's a good place to be most of the time. Uh, last week... Uh, uh, we ran the first part of Jay's interview with Dave Stockton. He was in uh, the Colorado uh, a couple weeks ago doing a clinic down in Pueblo, and uh, we're going to run part two of that. In today's segment, Dave talks uh, very candidly about some of the people that he's coached, uh, tour pros, both male and female, and uh, kind of mentions some names about who followed his advice very well and some that didn't. So here's part two of our interview with Dave Stockton.
2: Who was the first big-name pro that you worked with, and did they come to you, or did you go to them, or how did that work out?
3: Uh,
7: there were a bunch. One of the f- ones while I was still on tour was Annika Sorenstam, who had won twice in the previous 17 months, and I saw her at an outing we were doing at the Olympic Club in San Francisco, and she just asked me a couple questions. It led to my meeting with her in Palm Springs two days later, and uh I, I don't believe, Jay, there's any particular way to putt. I mean, my job as a teacher is to look at you and make you feel comfortable. And the world is full of mechanical people. And Annika was a mechanical. And she could not get away without having a practice stroke, which I don't really like. I mean, I just like to get up and let it go. I figure how many people don't care if I make it or not. The less time I spend worrying about it, generally the better I putt. Trying doesn't work in putting. And she ended up the next 17 months, she won 17 times, so that was one of the good ones. Back in '09, in when I had the rotator cuff, the week before, I worked with Michelle Wee, which was Thursday, Friday, prior to her going to the Solheim Cup at Rich Harvest Farms, and uh, she played brilliantly and the putting and the chipping. And then four days after it, I'm in my sling working with Phil Mickelson, and Junior's helping me with him down at Rancho Santa Fe. And Michelle really didn't say anything, which was fine. And then Phil told the world, so then the phone rang off the hook. <laughs> I mean, Phil started having, he had, well, he won the tour championship that week. You know, and then it was non, you know, it was non-stop. I mean, there's been some unbelievable highlights. And uh, Kucher who had, who had led the tour money list and was fifth in putting. We usually get the 180th guy in putting. You know, here's Kuchar, and he walks up and asks for critique and, and I asked him, I said, what's your direction hand? He said left, and he putted left hand low, but he flipped it when he went through. I said, well, make me a stroke just left-handed. He makes a stroke left-handed with just his left hand, and it was perfect. There was no breakdown. I said, well, then how in the hell are you doing this? <laughs> and he looked at me, and that five days later at the LA open, that's when he had the putter going up his arm, and then, mm-hmm. then the next week he had it going out behind his arm, and he went from almost no loft to having eight degrees. And he's settled now, I guess, right around 6 or something. Still has it on his forearm and goes through. You know, it's totally different than anybody else does, but that's what I'm expecting of people. I'll tell them what should feel right, and if it doesn't, you tell me what feels good to you, and then you change, change to it. So there, there's been so many guys. Uh, Holmes, J.B. Holmes, and there's a 180th guy. Worked with him before San Diego, and he finished 4th in putting in San Diego the first week and finished 3rd, and then went to Pebble and finished 3rd in putting and finished 2nd. I mean, right off the bat. So it doesn't take much to change people. I'll make it very simple for you. If you lived in Timbuktu and I couldn't get to see you, I would want you to text me or email me, show me what I'm supposed to look at, and I'll correct it. So they'll send me a picture of their stroke. Well, that's the last thing I want to see. But the mistake 99% of the people make is in their routine prior to their stroke. I'm a great putter because I can see where the ball is going to go. It's how I read the green. I mean, most of us that putt well feel our feet really dramatically. We can tell what the feet are telling us. And our eyes then set us up. That's why I don't like practice strokes because when you take a practice stroke, generally you look at the hole briefly, but then you're looking at the ball. So you're focusing down. That would be like throwing a dart and focusing on your hand instead of focusing on the bullseye. Mm -hmm. But half the people do that. And I would say eighty percent of the people have routines that don't fit, that so don't even come close. It's like, okay, it's, I got a putt. I don't like putting. Suzanne Pedersen, who I work with, is another one, brilliant ball striker. You see her get a putter in her hand, and she goes berserk. <laughs> I mean, she's not happy. I mean, you can tell by her body language and what she she is not a happy camper. Yeah. And you, you sit there, and I finally told her. I said, okay, um, you're going to stop taking the putter away from your caddy after you hit the green because you're going to hit 16 greens. Because I don't want you walking up there with it with this frown on your face. I want to find a coin. She found a coin from the Solheim Cup. I said, I want you to have your caddy, after you've hit the shot on the green, hand you that marker, something that's going to make you smile. Mm-hmm. And I do not want you to touch that friggin' putter. Even if you're not the first one to putt, I don't want you to touch it until after the first person's putted. And I do not want to see you stand on the side of the green practicing your stroke. You know, and she it did. It helped her, yeah. you know, but that's just, and it's fun. That's that's where I get the sensation. If you tell the right thing to the right person, I got somebody right now that's really on a roll that I think has played. He's a brilliant striker of the ball. Is Francesco Molinari, who I've worked with about four years. And we made a change at Akron this year. I finally got, I watched him at the British, and he putted terrible at the British. He tends to come up short, and Ted doesn't get it there and I widened his stance, had him set down on it more, and he finished second at the PGA. I texted him last night in the middle of the convention. I got here, and I saw all I saw was his last putt, and he had about a seven-footer. He finished three under. He had a short putt uphill, perfect putt to go four, and he didn't take it back far enough, and then he didn't hit it hard enough. It ended up an inch to the left of the hole, and just it barely would have gotten to the hole. And I just like, if you need to talk about it, I'll talk. So we do talk back and forth. And I'll be surprised if he doesn't have a good round today.
2: That leads to my next question. If you work with somebody and then say you're not working with them anymore. Six months later, a year later, two, three years later, you might see them on TV and they're doing something and, and you can correct what they're doing. Do you call them or do you wait for them to come back to you? How does that work?
7: It's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. Some people get it. Let's say Coocher got it. Annika got it. Phil's got it. Okay. Then I have others that you work with. Uh, for instance, Patrick Reed. Uh, worked with him at Firestone for the first time and really enjoyed he and Justine. How they teamed together and her brother came for him. I mean, it was impressive. Didn't change much, but changed a little bit. And two weeks later, David, were, well, and then I went from Akron to the PGA and then turned him loose and then David got him at Bridgestone the first in New York and worked with him that week and he won and then Ronnie and I worked with him at the Ryder Cup which was interesting because that was two of my pupils McElroy who's now on his, I haven't helped Rory in two years which is the one that's basically driving me crazy because he he could be fixed in 15 minutes, the putting portion of it but he's in his head that he's he's got this figured out and I just it, dry, it drives me nuts because it, it's so close but And I don't want to bug them, you know. They're better if they can figure it out on their own. I understand that. The last thing you want, you asked me way before a couple questions ago, I never worked with any big instructor. My only instructor was my father. My dad was an extremely good player, PGA pro. Uh, I had 164 at home. He had 463s. He had six double eagles. I've had three. I killed him in -in hole-in-ones. He never made a (laughs) hole-in-one. That was a sad subject. My mother and I made it on the same hole within a month of each other. My dad was not a happy camper. But I never really had, you know, let's say professional instruction other than my father, which was, I think was great. It reminds me, and your listeners will relate to this, one guy on tour that has a swing that everybody goes, how in the heck could his dad teach him that swing? Happens to be the only guy that shot two rounds in the 50s on the PGA Tour. That's Furyk. I mean, you're not going to teach somebody that loop. No. But he's at a 58 and he's at a 59. I would say he's doing really well. And so people have to take that with a grain of salt. I mean, you, you, there's no set way to do this game. I think the mental side of it is so, so important. If, if I have a strong suit, they say it's a short game. I've always thought my strongest suit was my mental ability to stay focused, you know, and then let it go and, you know, just keep fighting is all you can do.
2: I could do this all day with you, but we're out of time. Let's let's do it again sometime. I'll give you a call. Get That's you fine. Time. Anytime. Th- thanks for taking the time today. You got it, Jay. Dave nice Stockton to you. with us today here on T Degree.
4: Good stuff there from Jay and Dave Stockton. Uh, I, I I thought very interesting a couple things that he said there, especially um, you know the the Suzanne Pedersen, you know just leave the putter in your bag. Uh, until, uh, until you're ready to go. That, that, was, that was pretty entertaining. Um, one thing, you know, that I hadn't really thought about, you know, he mentioned something about he doesn't like people taking a practice stroke when they're putting. Um, I, I think, uh, and I certainly do that, I, I think a lot of people want to th- kind of feel that pace that they think they need. But, um, you know, he doesn't directly say it, but, you know, when you're m- making a practice stroke, you know, you're not standing right over the ball You're making a stroke, you know, behind the ball or, you know, more likely to the side, and your vision is changing there. Uh, The line that you're looking towards the hole is going to be different when you take a practice stroke than when you actually are over the ball ready to putt. So uh, what he says there is uh, kind of interesting, and and it's a concept that I hadn't uh, really heard anyone go over before. So uh, fascinating stuff from Dave Stockton. Uh, Won the PGA championship twice um i want to say 1970 and 74 um if i'm right on those years um uh, right around that time anyway um 10 time tour winner and uh, of course his son uh, david jr also a successful tour pro and they're uh, both in the teaching realm now and uh, doing very well and helping a lot of people uh Improve their golf games So good stuff from both of those guys, and uh, uh, great, uh, great interview uh, that Jay did with uh, Dave Senior uh, a couple weeks ago down here in Pueblo. When we come back, we will tell you about the opening of the 2018 PGA Tour season. Didn't we just finish the 2017 season? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that and more golf news about what's going on on tour when we come back on Tea to Green. I'm Jerry Butenhoff. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Fastest hour in radio and the quickest hour in golf. Not quite done yet as we continue here on Tee Green. Tee Green presented in part by Smash Factor Golf Apparel based in Monument, Colorado. Smash Factor Golf specializes in golf polos and golf hats. To check out their full line and to get more information, go online at smashfactorgolf.com with performance polos for under $30 and headwear for just fifteen ninety nine. You can put more Smash Factor into your game with Smash Factor Golf Apparel, the official golf apparel company of Tita Green. Check it out at Smash Factor Golf. Com. Jay Ritchie with Jerry Butinoff, wishing you the best in 2018 and thanking you for joining us today on a very special edition of Cheetah Green, our final show of the year, our final show of 2017, and a chance to give some thanks as well. We mentioned Smash Factor Golf. How about a big thank you to Robert Kraft, the owner of and founder of Smash Factor Golf, we look forward to working him with him again in 2018. Some other folks we want to give a special nod and appreciation and thanks to as well includes the guys right here at the Broadmoor: Russ Miller and Mark Kebble. How about Derek Hines, Steve Cornelier, Mark Kramer, and. TJ Eau Claire, all very special and very special people to us here at Tita Green. Without these people, we couldn't do what we do week in and week out here at the Broadmoor and on Tita Green. And our thanks to our guest lineup today, Tom Fazio. We hope you enjoyed hearing his story, perhaps the premier golf architect in the world. And uh, what an opportunity we had earlier this year when we were able to sit down with Dave Stockton. We planned on doing just a few minutes with him, and we ended up doing about 20 minutes, turning it into a two-part interview, and we hope you enjoyed that today. Part two, Dave Stockton on Tee to Green. That's going to do it for the show and for Jerry Butenhoff. I'm Jay Ritchie. Thanks for joining us. Hit him long. Hit him straight.